Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Hello and good morning, Activate Christchurch. So great to see you this morning using the wonders of uh, modern technology. If you're watching from your lounge this morning, kia ora. If you're watching from somebody else's lounge this morning, then hola. Bit of a multilingual greeting for you this morning. We are doing Lounge Church this morning, of course, the first Sunday of each month. This is something that we've just decided to lean into, right? I think that when you read through the Gospels and you read through the life of Jesus and you try and put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, whether it's Peter or John or Thaddeus, we had a cat called Thaddeus, so I always remember the disciple Thaddeus. Uh, it must have been an incredibly exciting time to be alive, right? Every morning you get up, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're doing. Jesus has got plans to go here, he's got plans to speak there, he's got plans to do this. He often holds those plans very close to his chest. It would have just been, just from day to day, you wouldn't have known what you were doing. And I think that a relationship with Jesus should look exciting, it should look dynamic. It certainly shouldn't look like you do the same thing at the same time, the same way every Sunday, right? That's religion. I think that religion loves monotony. Religion loves routine. Religion loves we do the same thing at the same place at the same time in the same way. But that's not relationship, right? Relationship loves difference. It loves change. It loves, you know, uniqueness. And so we're getting used to different in this season. We're taking a gift from the last couple of years because of the lockdowns and the traffic lights and the alert levels, we have, I think, built a muscle in the spirit that can handle a bit more flexibility, right? We're a really adaptable church. We've just had to roll with different approaches and we really want to hold on to that. So we're getting used uh, to different. So if you're in our lounge church this morning, I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you brought your Bibles because I'm going to be reading out of Acts chapter 3 this morning. So what I'm looking at down here is my Bible. I'm not going to put any verses up on the screen. So if you haven't bought or brought so easy word to confuse. If you haven't brought, bought or brought uh, a Bible, then make sure you bring one next week. I have a dream of standing up in church on a Sunday morning and seeing a hundred people with a hundred Bibles open. I just think it would be awesome. And and those Bibles are tattered and torn and dog-eared and highlighted to within an inch of their life. Because let me tell you something, the more your Bible is falling apart, the less your life is. Absolutely true. The more your Bible is falling apart, the less your life is. And look, if nothing else, you bring your Bible to church. If at any point I start boring you to tears, you open your Bible, you start reading it. You can completely ignore whatever I say. And everyone around you thinks you're being super spiritual. Can't do that with your smartphone, right? So bring your Bibles to church. And I give you permission. If you are ever bored with anything that I'm talking about, open up your Bible, find something that interests you. I'm totally okay with that. That is fine. God has spoken to me many times on a Sunday morning out of his word while I've been not paying attention to the pastor. Uh, so if I've done it, it would be hypocritical of me to say that you can't do it, right? So bring your Bibles to church. Uh, quick recap on where we're at. Oh, you know what I should do too? I should say happy birthday church. I almost forgot. It's Pentecost Sunday, right? It is the day that we celebrate the birth of the church. So turn to the person next to you if you're with someone and say happy birthday church. It was on this day, however many years ago, close to a couple of thousand now, that the Holy Spirit fell on all the believers, that Peter got up and preached an extraordinary message, and 3,000 people got saved, widely held to be day one of the modern-day church. And here we are now, almost 2,000 years later, still going strong. In fact, did you know, this is the truth, 
not lying. Uh, there are more Christians living today on planet Earth than have ever lived and died in history. Because of the way the human population growth kind of exponentially grows, there are more Christians alive today on planet Earth than there are in heaven right now from all of human history. It's a hard thing to wrap your head around, but it's absolutely true. I heard someone say the other day, the weight of the Spirit is pulling heaven to Earth for the first time in the last 2,000 years. That's a pretty cool way to think about it. So happy birthday, church. You're doing great. We're working through the book of Acts at the moment. We took a break over the last couple of weeks because we had some guest speakers, but we're going to dive back into it this morning. A quick recap, because it has been a couple of weeks. Last time we looked at Acts, we were talking about the story of Peter and John healing the paralyzed man outside the temple gates. They're on their way to church, right? They see this paralyzed guy that they've probably seen a hundred times because he's over 40 years old and he's been paralyzed his whole life and he's been begging outside the temple forever. So they've probably seen him a hundred times, a thousand times maybe. This time though, they engage in conversation with him. They have a bit of a back and forth. And then Peter says, mate, I don't have any money. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he gets his hand and he lifts him up, which would have been quite hard to do if you've ever tried to lift someone off the ground who's not helping, right? But as he lifts him up, the Bible says that instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong and he was miraculously healed. And what we see here is the very first miracle performed by the disciples with the power of God inside of them, not the person of God beside them. Right, So we have seen the disciples do miracles in the Gospels, but it was always under God's authority, under Jesus' authority. He was kind of there or he'd sent them out with his authority. But now he's in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father and the disciples are doing extraordinary things because of this power that lives in them. And it's that same power that lives in us, right? We've got to wrap our head around that and get that into our hearts. So that power that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. I don't know if anyone has really kind of grabbed that. Because if we did, man, it would be extraordinary. So you know, they lift him up. He goes into the temple with them. The Bible says that everybody that was there saw him and they recognized him as the guy that's been begging for the last few decades. And so this massive crowd gathers and they're all amazed. It says at the end of the last passage, uh, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So scene set. We're going to jump in at chapter 3, verse 11. We're going to read through to the end of chapter 3, so 15 verses. The story doesn't end at the end of chapter 3, so you're going to have to wait until next week to find out what actually happens. But my plan this morning is just to read through this passage, and excuse me, then I want to cycle back uh, and look at one verse in particular that I felt God was sort of highlighting to me. But... It could be that God highlights a different verse to you, and that's okay as well. And that's another great reason to bring your Bible. What's going on? <laughs> another great reason to bring your Bible is that very often the pastor or the preacher will say, this is what God's talking to me about right now. And you're like, that's awesome. But actually this verse over here has really rung my bell. And that's happened to me a number of times before as well. So bring your Bibles to church, man. Okay, verse 11, chapter 3. Here we go. So the crowds gathered around. They can't believe what they're seeing. And it says this in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John. Don't you love that picture? He's holding on to them. Like These are the guys that healed me. I'm not letting these guys go anywhere. We need to be like that with Jesus, man. He's the guy that spiritually brought us to life. We need to hold on to him, cling to him. We're not letting go of this guy. He's completely saved our life. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, which is just an outdoor area. So they're within the perimeters of the temple grounds, but they're not inside the temple itself. Kind of like out in the car park, if, if that makes sense. So Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, 
he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Now listen to what Peter says there. So what Peter's done is they performed a miracle. A massive crowd is gathered around and Peter's gone, hey, here's an opportunity to tell everybody about the God that made this miracle happen. And that's something that we see modeled very heavily in Jesus's ministry is that he performs a miracle. He shows what the power of God can do. And then he teaches out of what the people have seen. Christianity is supposed to be a faith that is built on a show and tell approach, right? A show and tell approach. And the sad reality is we're going to talk about this a lot more next week, I think. But uh, yeah, don't hold me to it, but I'm pretty sure we'll talk about this next week. The sad reality is that for a lot of Christians, myself included, for a lot of churches, the show is not really happening. It's not really part of our lifestyle. We're not casting out demons. We're not healing the sick. We're not raising the dead. We're not cleansing lepers. We maybe, maybe on our best day, we're preaching the gospel. Maybe on our best day, we're hanging out with friends that aren't Christians and we're having a conversation with them about God and we're answering their questions. Maybe on our best day, we're doing that. But a lot of us aren't even doing that, right? But Jesus's model, the disciples model, what we're seeing here modeled is that it's supposed to be a show and tell faith, right? We don't just tell people that God loves them. We show them what the love of God looks like. We don't just tell people about the power of God. We show them what the power of God can do. We don't just tell them that hey, if you become a Christian, then you don't have any fear and anxiety and stress because Jesus takes it. We actually show them through our lifestyle what it looks like to live a surrendered life to Jesus and to let him handle all of our worries and all of our cares. But so many of us, so many of us don't do that. We don't do the show. And so when we do the tell, it kind of ticks people off because the world is desperate for a genuine encounter with the power of God and the person of Jesus Christ. And church, we've got to start challenging ourselves to do better in this space. We have to stop being so content and so satisfied with a lifestyle that is completely devoid of the supernatural. We have to, we have to do better, right? We have to say, you know what? Jesus lived a supernatural lifestyle. The disciples lived a supernatural lifestyle. The apostles lived a supernatural lifestyle. The early church lived a supernatural lifestyle. I am not prepared to live without the supernatural in my life. I'm going to go after it because this is what God created me to do. This is who God created me to be. I'm a spiritual being happening to have a natural experience, right? But we all know, we all believe that when our bodies die, our spirits live on. Our spirits supersede our bodies. The supernatural supersedes the natural. And we're called to be living in heavenly places and doing amazing things. And we're just so easily satisfied with a paycheck and a house and a comfortable life. Listen, when the biggest thing you have to complain about in your life is that petrol costs more than it should, I think it's safe to say that we're probably doing okay when it comes to comfort, right? If you have a toilet in your house that flushes, then you are living in greater luxury than any king or queen throughout human history up until, you know, 100 years ago. Literally, you could go back to Solomon's day the richest man in the world. People would come from all around the world to marvel at just how wealthy he was. He couldn't even flush his dunny, and you can, 
right? We have to, we have to get it, I don't know, like passionate about the supernatural. And one of the things that stops us, and now I'm preaching next week's message, dang it. Um, one of the things that stops us is comfort. Anyway, park that there. I'll, I'll go into that next week. Hopefully I haven't ruined too much of it for you. Anyway, Peter's preaching. Like, why, why are you surprised that this happened, right? Why are you surprised? Why are you looking at us like we did this? We didn't do this. He says this, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. It's a little rich for Peter to be saying this, considering he did that exact thing, not onzo, not dos, but tres times, right? Pretty awkward, but that just goes to show how deep God's restoration goes. That Peter has got no problem saying, hey, you guys made this mistake. And it's not even, it's it's so not a part of his life anymore. It's like it never happened, right? That's what God does. He doesn't just cover over sin or make it feel like, okay, well, it was something I did a long time ago. It's gone forever, man. The fact that Peter can get up with integrity and preach this message is pretty amazing. You disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you, and you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Let me tell you something. There is a lot of people in 2022 that would be very uncomfortable standing beside Peter while he gave that message, right? That is not like a tickle your ears message. You know, I'd be tempted to lean over and be like, dude, don't you know it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance? You've got to be nicer to people, right? But the truth is he was preaching this message with the Spirit. And we've got to get better at not necessarily listening to what people are doing or how they're doing it, but sensing what the Spirit is doing behind the scenes. Because on the face of it, this seems like a really offensive, hard, intense, accusatory word, but it was what Peter needed to preach. And in chapter 4, we'll find out how the people responded to it, and they responded very well. He says, we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. So he kind of lets everybody off the hook here, right? He says, hey, you killed the son of God, punks. You you dis, uh, disowned the holy and righteous one. You disowned Jesus. You killed the author of life. But... You didn't know what you were doing and your leaders didn't know what they were doing. Or, okay, like, so he kind of lets them off the hook. And then he says, but this all happened, even though you had no clue what you were doing, it all happened to kind of fulfill the words of the prophets. And so he says this, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, right? Saying that his Messiah would suffer. Verse 19, we're going to circle back to this verse. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. He's now talking about Jesus coming back for a second time. I guess he's coming back for a first time because he came and then he comes back. Yes, coming for the second time, coming back for the first time. For Moses said, and he quotes Deuteronomy, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, and here he quotes Genesis, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked 
ways. So he kind of hits them pretty hard, right? And then he brings in a little bit of Old Testament stuff to kind of, you know, bring some scripture. Every good message should have a little bit of scripture in it, right? Or, or a lot, depending on, you know, what your particular flavor is. But what I want to do here this morning is I just want to circle back to verse 19. And we're just going to look at this for a few minutes and then we're done this morning. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When I read that this week, that phrase, times of refreshing coming from the Lord, it just it just resonated with me. And I thought, you know what? That is what I need in my life. That is what you need in your life. That's what we need in our lives, right? We need this refreshing from God. Because the truth is, and I touched on this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it might have even been when Chris was down. Uh, the truth is we're all tired. Right, And I know a lot of pastors that are tired, but that's only because I'm hanging out with pastors all the time. I literally was on the phone on, on Thursday with a pastor who was just saying that they'd pulled all of, their, all of their eldership team together. And in tears, he and his wife were just like, look, we don't know if we can keep going. Like, we're just, we, we need some, some things to change. We need extra help. Like, there's so many pastors in that position at the moment. But the truth is, there's also school teachers that have had to completely rework their lessons and rethink how to teach under COVID. There are nurses and doctors that are, you know, having to completely work around all of these extra systems and wear PPE and that's exhausting. And then there's shop workers that have been, you know, had to deal with angry and upset people and also have to wear face masks all day. And, you know, there's mums that have had to homeschool their kids for, and they don't know what they're doing. They've never had to do it. Like everybody has been stressed. Everybody has been hit by this. There's no one really that's not been affected by it. And so we need this refreshing touch. Not to mention that a whole bunch of people got physically sick as well with this virus that was flying around. And, and some people, it's, it's hit them harder than others. Uh, and so it's been a really intense time. If we ever needed just refreshing from the Lord, it's now, right? And so I want to just look at this verse because uh, there's a couple of things that we are expected to do to kind of as part of this process. And then there's a couple of things that God kind of does and sort of we all kind of meet in the middle. But the NIV, this is interesting, I think the NIV has misinterpreted this verse. And I actually think that there's some theological implications for this misinterpretation. So we'll look at that in just a second. But verse 19 says, repent then and turn to God. These are the two things that we do at the start of the equation. The King James Version says, repent ye therefore and convert, be converted. Right, So repent, you've probably heard this before, but repent means literally just to change the way you think. Um, remember Shane Willard, who's a bit of a theologian, he said to me once, words don't matter. What matters is what people think the words mean. So when we hear the word repent, if it creates a picture in your mind, like, oh, I'm on my knees and I'm tears and sobbing and, oh, God, forgive me. Like, you know, like that is one definition of repentance. It might look like that. But actually, the biblical definition of repentance is just how hey, you change the way you think. You were thinking like this. Now you're thinking like that. So the first thing we have to do for this refreshing touch is we have to we have to adapt our mindset. OK, and I shared this a, a couple of weeks ago, but I went up to Auckland, right? went to a pastor's conference and I was feeling pretty fatigued and I just, I felt in my spirit that I was supposed to be there. I don't know why, but I felt I was supposed to be there. And I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but just indulge me for a second. The pastor got up, one of the pastors, and he said, hey, look, pastors are tired right now. Pastors are exhausted. There's a lot of pastors that are leaving the ministry. You know, there's a lot of pastors that are just, you know, about to fall over. And I was sitting in that room going, yes, you know, I, that's how I feel. Like, not that I'm going to fall over, but tired, you know, definitely. A, a bit more run down. Um, and, and I had been, truth be told, 
uh, talking with a lot of other pastors, and I had normalized how I felt. Like, everybody feels this way. Every pastor I talk to feels this way. This is normal. And we'd all got together, and we'd all talked about why we felt that way, and we'd all worked out that none of it was our fault. Right? We were tired because of COVID. We were tired because of all of the decisions that we had to make. We were tired because of all the extra communication that we had to do with our churches. We were tired of dealing with people that weren't happy with the decisions that we'd made. But the bottom line was that all of the stuff was external. It was all stuff that we just had to deal with. And so up until that moment in that meeting, if you'd asked me, are you tired? I would have said yes. And if you said to me, is it your fault? I would have said no. It's not my fault. It's all this stuff that I can't control that's happening to my life. It's just part of being a pastor. Right. But then the guy, he said this. He said, I don't know. He said, even though pastors are tired and pastors are falling over and pastors are exhausted. He said, I don't know any pastor that's regularly connecting with Jesus Christ. that's having encounters with God every week that's tired. And when he said that, I thought that's a really inconvenient thing for you to say. But I actually think the whole reason I went up to that conference was just to hear him say that sentence because I thought about it and I thought about it and I couldn't tell you what he said after that because I I was just stuck thinking about it. And then I came home and I thought about it a bit more and I realized he's right. And the reason it annoyed me so much was because I realized that I'm tired because of the decisions that I've made. I'm tired because of what I've allowed to come into my life and what I haven't delegated or, or whatever it might be. And I realized that, yes, if, if I were spending time with God and if I were you know, just sitting at his feet and focusing on him and not being distracted by all these things that I've allowed to distract me, you know, Martha complex, then I probably wouldn't be tired. And so I had to repent of that mindset. Now, I didn't cry. I didn't sob. I didn't go and say, God, I'm so sorry for just trying so hard at church and losing focus. Like, I just went, you know what? He's right. He's right. He's right. And it doesn't apply to pastors. It applies to every single, it applies to you. It applies to every single person listening. If, if you are, if you believe the word of God and you do things like you take your, your troubles and your burdens to him. And he says, I'll take your burdens and I'll give you rest. If I were doing that, then I wouldn't be tired. And I'm tired because I haven't been doing that. I've been carrying all this stuff that I just needed to give to him. And I've been sidetracked by administration stuff and organizational stuff. And we've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to communicate that. And actually, I had to repent of all of that stuff and go, you know what? You're right, crazy pastor. That annoys me. Uh, If I were doing those things, then I wouldn't be tired. So the first thing I had to do was repent. I had to change the way that I thought, which took a couple of days just meditating over it once I got home. The next thing we do is it says turn to God or in the King James, be converted. And the Greek word that's translated differently in both cases is a verb. Remember back to your school days, a verb is a doing word. It's an action word. So repent is a mindset shift. And then turn to God is an actual physical, all right, man, what are you going to do differently? What are you going to start implementing implementing in your life? You know, what what spiritual disciplines are you going to actually start to say, look, these are non-negotiable? Is it reading your Bible? You know what? I've been wishy-washy with reading my Bible. I'm just going to draw a line in the sand. I'm reading my Bible. I don't care if it's 10 minutes a day. That's it. I don't watch TV. I don't go to bed. I don't eat dinner unless I've read my Bible for 10 minutes. And if that means that everybody sits down to eat dinner and I sit down at the couch and read my Bible and all my kids see me reading my Bible and all my family see me saying, this is more important to me than eating right now and I'll eat when you guys are finished, that's probably not a bad thing. You know, maybe it's spending time 
time with people that, you know, sharpen you. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Whatever it might be, there has to be a physical response. There's a physical turning, right? But I keep getting emails. Uh, that's, that's our part. Our part is change the way you think and make some changes, right? Like position yourself to receive from God. And then the next part is God's part. But here's where it gets a little bit tricky, and I'm almost done. Because the NIV says repent. Okay, I'm going to change the way that I think. Uh, turn to God. Okay, I'm going to put some, some spiritual disciplines in place so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You see, in the NIV, it sounds like the times of refreshing that come from the Lord come after our sin has been dealt with. You repent, turn, your sins get wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so it's easy to develop this theology that I can't connect with God and I can't have a refreshing time with God until I get all of my stuff sorted out. And listen, you're never going to get all your stuff sorted out. We've all got stuff. Some of us have got a lot of stuff. Some of us think we don't have a lot of stuff, but we do, which is buried deep under the surface. You're never going to get all your stuff sorted out. If you wait to connect with God until you think you're perfect enough to hang out with God, good luck, right? But that's kind of how the NIV makes it sound. But when you read the New King James Version, which I've got on my smartphone, my Apple phone, my superior smartphone, it says this, Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore, and be converted. So we're in agreement here. You repent, you change the way you think, you change the way you act. That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. See, the King James says that your sins are blotted out when the refreshing comes. In fact, the Greek word that they translate when is translated in another part of Acts, same book, it's translated as the word because. Because means caused by, right? So you could even say that your sins are blotted out because of the refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. And so actually what Peter is saying here is, hey, change the way you think, change the way you're acting, put some systems in place and let God come and refresh your life. Let God come and take your burdens. Let God come and take your anxieties and your worries and your stresses. And as that refreshing comes into your life, it takes care of this sin issue. You know, one of the definitions of the word sin is to miss the mark. The problem is, again, harking back to that, it's not the word, it's what the word means. In our culture, sin is a massive word. It's a loaded term, right? If you hear the word sin, you just go to like worst case scenario 99% of the time. Like if I stood up in front of church next Sunday and I said, church, uh, I, I need to confess a sin to you. You would think, uh-oh, this is bad, right? Is, is it an affair? Has he stolen money from the church? Like, we'd go worst case scenario. And I'd do that too. If you came to me, you said, Josh, can we have a meeting? I need to come into your office. Um, I need to confess some sin in my life. I'd be thinking, okay, what, what is it? You know, is it this or is it that? Like, but I'd, I'd go to probably worst case scenario as well. Um, but in the Bible, sin can mean, yeah, it can mean worst case scenario. It can mean, oh, David's had an affair with Bathsheba and arranged for her husband to be assassinated. It can be at that end of the spectrum. But it can also be right at the other end where it's literally just missing the mark. You know, like I'm doing my best to lead the church and I'm just overly focused in one area. I'm just missing the mark. I'm not bullseyeing it. I'm just off to the side. It's not the end of the world a lot of the time. And so what Peter is saying here is like, hey, change the way you think. If you want to be refreshed by the Lord, right? And this is what it boils down to. If you want his refreshing touch, if you want to be energized by him, if you want to be empowered by him, if you want to be filled with the spirit of God, you've got to change the way you think. You've got to make this a priority. Then you've got to put some practical steps in place and say, I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to pursue God. 
And that's all you do. You just make the decision and then you put the steps in place. Whether it's reading your Bible more, like I say, whether it's just carving out some time in your day to pray, whether it's like doing what I'm doing at the moment. One of the things that I felt challenged to do was pray in tongues every day for 15 minutes. I don't know if it's achieving a lot. I don't really know what praying in the tongues is doing for 15 minutes. But I do know that praying in tongues every day for 15 minutes, and maybe it's not tongues, maybe it's just praying, maybe it's reading your Bible, it makes it much harder for me to, to kind of miss the mark later on. It's like it's like when you go to the gym and you do a big workout, when you leave the gym, you don't just go and get Maccas. You're like, I I do not want to eat junk food right now. I don't want to undo all the good work that I've done. Right? And it's kind of like that when you're praying in tongues. I don't know what it is, but I'm like, well, I've done this. I don't want to you know, undo all the good work that I've done, whatever it might be. Sorry, it's a couple of burps. It's really embarrassing. Anyway, you repent, right? You change the way that you act. You put some systems in place. And then the refreshing of God comes. And as that refreshing comes, it takes care of these areas where you're missing the mark. And he realigns you as he needs to realign you. And he centers you where he needs to center you. Okay, so that's that's the verse that popped out for me. Maybe as you're reading it, a different verse popped out for you. Maybe you're going to break into your groups now and talk about something completely different. That is totally fine. But can I encourage you, if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling run down, don't fall into the same trap that I fell into by externalizing the whole thing and making it all about everything that's outside your control. No wonder I'm tired. Look at all the stuff I've got to deal with. Actually, no. There is a place for you in the middle of all of that. Psalm 23 says that he, he makes a table for us in the presence of our enemies. That there is a space when you can be completely, literally surrounded by people that hate and want to kill you. And you can just be sitting there calmly eating, eating some soup, you know, having a pie, whatever it might be. Like God, he's got a place for you in the middle of all of the chaos that's going on. There is a space for you to just sit down with him and have a meal. All right, so I encourage you to do what I've done in the last couple of weeks and just take some ownership around how you're feeling and go, God, I need your refreshing touch. I need your refreshing uh, anointing. I need your healing touch, all that kind of stuff. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to break into groups. Let me pray for you before you go, and then you can break into your groups and you can talk about whatever it is that the Spirit of God has sort of highlighted to you. And if you're watching at home by yourself, you know, you can have a wee thing about things as well. I did it all on my own. It was all good. All right, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Pentecost Sunday. Thank you for uh, your church and just that it is the hope of the world. And even though, God, sometimes we do a pretty shoddy job of, you know, fulfilling our mandate, God, you still love us and you're still faithful. God, I pray for every single person watching this morning that you would just highlight whatever it is that I've said, whatever it is that I've read out of your word that you want highlighted for them. And you would just... Um, touch that part of my message lord if there's anything that i've said that's not of you or you know it's just my own stuff i pray that you just let that drop to the ground no one's perfect i'm sure i've said some dumb stuff already this morning just let that drop to the ground and uh, god i just bless the discussion i bless the prayer time uh, as people connect together in jesus name amen all right have a great sunday happy birthday queen elizabeth for tomorrow and uh, we'll catch up with you next week for uh, chapter four, which is when we find out how everybody responded to Peter's message. And we talk a little bit more about that show and tell dynamic. It's going to be fun. God bless.